Thanks for downloading the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you've joined us for our journey through the Bible Project. This weekend, we investigate the Gospel of Mark and Mark's interactions with the person of Jesus. We hope you enjoy this podcast. You can find us any weekend at the Village on Casino Road at 10.30 a.m. or on our website at southeverett.org. Thanks again for downloading. We'll see you soon. Jesus didn't just have disciples. He also had friends. Think about that for a minute. This wasn't at Peter's house or Matthew's house. This was at Simon's house with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And not to suggest they weren't disciples in their own right. They were believers and they were followers. But there's a communal, family-friendly atmosphere. Jesus is reclined at the table. In other Gospels, we hear of Lazarus laid back. Uh, we just get this sense of them gathering in a home to relax and to rest in community, and there's worship all at the same time. Before this, we have Lazarus sick. They call for Jesus. Jesus comes. By the time he gets to Bethany, Lazarus has already died, and Jesus then raises Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine the chaos and the emotions that surround this in that house? Like, I don't know if any of you have ever had a really close family member that got really sick and then died and then got brought back to life, but I'm guessing <laughs> that if you did, it was probably a fairly significant event. And right on the other side of this, Jesus is going to head into Jerusalem. We're going to get palm branches and we're going to get Hosanna and we're going to ultimately get him crucified. And right between these two moments, we get this communal moment of rest and of worship. I don't know about you guys, but I had a really busy week last week. And some really cool things that happened for the kingdom. And I have big hopes for next week. But here we are right now. And can we just gather as a community and as a family? And can we worship Jesus? Can we encourage one another? Can we rest? Can we relax? And can we worship the Lord? That's what I want to invite you into. Invite us into a living room where Jesus is present and we are worshiping at his We turn to you. We draw near to you. You invite us near your side. So we lay our thoughts down and our hearts before you, Lord. We've come to worship you.
testimony and praise. It can just be as simple as, I thank God for. Would a few of you just speak out? I thank God for healing. Yes. Thank you. I thank God for children. Yes. I 
thank God for my uncle coming back to the Lord.
most authentic form of praise comes from either a position of testimony or faith. So some of you right now, you can sing, you are good, you are good to me, because you really feel it. You really have the testimony of recently, I can point to the time where he straightened the path, or he leveled the mountain, or he healed my afflictions, or he restored a relationship. And others of you, you might still be in the midst of the pain, and in the midst of the conflict, and in the midst of the trial, and you sing this testimony from a position of faith, not yet having gotten to the other side of it. Both are equally authentic forms of praise because God is good all the time when we sing in testimony and when we sing in faith. But I just want to extend just a, a personal invitation to those that maybe have to sing this from a position of faith this morning and aren't all the way to singing it from a position of testimony. I read this this week. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God didn't put out the fire. He just put Jesus in there with them, and they came out without smoke. It's not about God stopping all the things that look bad. It's about who is in there with you. And as I was thinking about that, I'm reminded of Daniel Lyonston or Lazarus. There was time in there where he did, um, or Lazarus died, and yet God was present with them all. And I think that reminder, um, a couple months ago, someone brought to my attention a scripture in Isaiah, I think it's 43, and they said, okay, everybody, underline what word stands out to you, you know, what section. And that's word through, T-H-R-O-U-G-H, kept coming up, and it was like, I don't like that word. I want the jumping over, I want the end, I want the healing, I want the end of the story. Um, but that word keeps coming up. And I just think the presence of God is the gift. And God will bring miracles and we can ask for miracles and pray for those and see them. But the gift of God's presence walking with us and through it, that we would not smell like smoke coming out, that we would not be have any marks from the lions. The testimony of that stands. And so just what Chris was saying, that, that if we're, we're praising the Lord out of thanks and praise for what he has done, or we're doing it out of obedience because we know what he is capable of and his heart is good and that he is with us in it. God sees that. Paul said to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 15, For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Verse 17, again, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that 
you may know him better. Lord, we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to fall upon this gathering this morning that we might know you better. We're going to make that a declaration of praise that comes from our lived experience as followers of Jesus that we know you better because of the last time goes quickly in the presence of Jesus, the last 50 minutes of resting in between the chaos of last week and the chaos of the week that would come. Lord, there is an eye in the storm and there's a people you're forming in the midst of it to be a representative witness, to take the peace that transcends all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus and go forth into the places you've called us to be peace where there is no peace. Lord, we are not peacekeepers. You said, blessed are the peacemakers. Peace is not made in the presence of peace. Peace is made in the presence of chaos in the Lord. So we ask that you would give us everything we need by the strength of your spirit to be peacemakers. Let it begin in our own soul, in our own minds, in our own hearts, with our own words with our own actions. And Lord, may it pour forth into a world that desperately needs your peace. Paul went on to pray in verse 18 over the church, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. God, we want to know you We want to know the hope that you've called us to. Not with our eyes alone, not with our mind alone. But in our hearts, God, would you crack open the eyes of our hearts that we might know the hope to which you have called us today. God, thank you that you are ever ready for your servants to come and sit at your feet so that you might declare over us that we are no longer just servants As if we were those who did not know the master's business, but we know the business of our father. Mm. Do we know the business? Stepping into our identity as ambassadors. We ask that you would do it more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Can we give Jesus a hand? Thank you, Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you, team, for leading us into the living room this morning to just be with one another. Yeah, anytime you want to invite one another into each other's living rooms, feel free to do that. Lorraine's already working on it. She said, give me a week to clean up my apartment, but uh, just on the other side of the hedge there is Lorraine's place, and she wants to have some some people over just to pray after service one, one day. So she'll let us know when that'll be, but we can take this over there, too. So thank you, Lorraine, and to those that open your homes. It's a, it's a great thing. Is everyone in here staying in here? Is that how this works today? Is we dismissing anybody? Well, good? Welcome. Welcome, young people. Our young people are amazing, aren't they? Aren't they incredible? Some of them are here. Some of them are serving in the other room. Um, we're just going to plow right into what we're going to do today, uh, which I hope might result in a message from the book of Mark eventually. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. 
If we get there, it will be in Mark chapter 8, if we get there. So feel free to open your Bibles to Mark 8, 27 through 30. This is about encountering Jesus and encountering truth. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, which was north of the Sea of Galilee, about 40 miles, so it's north-north. Galilee is about as north as it gets in Israel, but it goes further north. And, And they weren't just in the city of Caesarea Philippi. They went out to the edges. So this is like a really deep place with Jesus, away from the noise, away from... It probably felt like this. This was the hope, was to get out there to have some conversations, some define the relationship questions that Jesus was asking of his disciples. If any of you were born in the 80s, you knew what DTRs were by the time you got to college, which was that point in a relationship where the layers were fading away, and you actually had to have a conversation with somebody else about what the essence of that relationship was. So we had to define the relationship so there was clarity moving forward. And Jesus had been wandering around with these guys for minutes, so but he wanted to speak with them and have clarity about the nature of his relationship with them and their relationship with him. And so they went away to the villages on the edge of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way out there, Jesus asked them, Who do people say that I am? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Jesus essentially says, Well, that's all fine and good, I suppose, about what they think, but you're the guys that I'm kicking it with all the time. We've been on this journey for a minute together now. So what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. There's a lot to unpack there. And maybe we'll get there today. But what I want us to pull from this passage is that we cannot come to Jesus as disciples and decide that somewhere in the middle we'll sort of take and leave Jesus as we see fit. No, when we come to him, when he calls us as disciples beyond believers, he says, you got to make a choice. We've seen it the last two weekends in our, in our teachings about Matthew. There was no option for Matthew to follow Jesus, sort of. He had to be all in or all out. Because Jesus had a call on his life. He desired that his heart would be open and enlightened to know the hope to which the Savior had called him to. But it's about encountering Jesus. Following Jesus is more than an intellectual pursuit. I believe it's one of the greatest grievances God has with his church today is that we've turned an activity into a thought process and just wanted to stop there. Now, the thought process is important. Having strong theological convictions keeps us grounded in our actions, but it cannot stop with just knowing stuff. For what do we know stuff? If it isn't to do something, I don't want to just read the rules to the game. I want to play the game. I don't want to just read the instruction manual on my car. I want to drive the car. It's for something. All of this is for something. And it says it is. Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says, James says. Do what it says. That's where the color comes. 
That's where the growth comes, is in the fire, and you will not be burned. You will not smell of smoke, but you will move through it. But you got to experience it. Following Jesus is more than an intellectual pursuit. As we grow closer to the Lord, as we respond to his invitation to join him in his work of loving those around us, this is the great invitation. Come and be my representatives in all these cities and towns and places. And I will give you everything you need by the power of the Holy Spirit to baptize people and make disciples in my name and be aware in all times that I am with you always to the very ends of the age. He invites us into this work. And as Peter did in this moment, as we confess his lordship over our lives, a few new things begin to happen. Because we can believe and Jesus can be our Savior before He is our Lord. We can believe in Him. I believed in Jesus by age 11. I did not start following Jesus until I was 17. There's a whole lot of time in there. And I'm following Jesus even more intimately now than I was then. It is a process. We work out our faith with fear and trembling. We work out our salvation. Right? So... When we get to this point, when Peter had already been following Jesus, he believed in Jesus. I mean, Jesus was in front of him, so at least as a human, he believed that this person, this Messiah, was this rabbi, he was here. He was in his presence, but he said, you are the Messiah. In the other gospel accounts, it goes on to say that you are the son of the living God. And as we confess his lordship in our lives, a few new things begin to happen. Kingdom memories are created. Kingdom relationships are established. Kingdom stories are written. And history is made. We're making history together. I want to make a few Instagram observations this morning, if that's okay with you. But it's clear that pictures depict our memories, right? Uh, they highlight our relationships, and they capture our stories. Now, more than ever, photographs do that. More than any other time in history, our world exists in pictures. That's the context that God has set us in in this season and time. And so July of this year, it was reported that across the globe, there are 1,074 pictures uploaded to Instagram each second around the world. 1,074 each second. That's 64,440 photos per minute. Almost 4 million per hour. The number of pictures and videos being uploaded per day is estimated to be 95 million photos. More than 35 billion photos per year. And we keep visual records of just about everything today. Good, bad, and indifferent. You could pull up pictures of live video streams that are happening outside of your front door right now. We record things. Images are powerful. So not only are we able to see with our eyes, right? We're able to see with our minds. Close your eyes. Imagine something. Put a picture in your mind. I'm going to say the Space Needle in the Seattle Center. And I'm going to say Mount Rushmore. And then I'm going to say the Great Wall of China. You go there in your mind immediately with your eyes closed. You have an imagination. 
You can imagine being there. Go to the coolest place you've ever been on planet Earth in your imagination right now. You can go there. The mind is powerful. We have our eyes and we have our minds, but even beyond that, Paul, as we said in Ephesians chapter 1, prays that the disciples, those who follow him or committed to him, would see in the heart the plans and the purposes and the hope to which God has called them. We can see, and we don't even need our eyes if we have our mind. And beyond our mind, we have what's going on in our hearts. And God calls us into seeing things. His whole Old Testament was about what? can imagine what will be truth is what is hope is what could be and faith is what will be we can imagine those things in the depths of our souls and we are able to see with our minds our eyes and our hearts images from the past right from the present close your eyes and imagine this room you can still see it in the future with our imaginations, our eyes, our minds, and our hearts, we can see what was, what is, and what will be. And as growing disciples of Jesus, it's best evidenced, the pictures tell the story. If it is the case that we are living and walking and following Jesus, images of that can be captured. If we are actively serving Jesus, it can come alive through pictures. This is simply what we have recorded in our gospel accounts. Compelling lives lived, compelling lives recorded. The story that Norby shared with us this morning about the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus with the perfume. It says every time the gospel is told, is proclaimed, this story will be told. It's a story about a thing that happened in a place with some, some people. But it's a story that's worth telling. I don't have time to tell the story, but Perry came up to me this morning and says, I have got to tell you a story about what happened in my life on Wednesday. That was a compelling three and a half minutes as he told me that story. We all have stories to share about the good things that God is doing in our lives. And so what I want us to do is this exercise. It's about encountering Jesus. It's about what he is choosing to do in us when we follow him. Our stories are recorded in pictures, so I want us to imagine some pictures. So close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to invite you to pull up some images in your imagination and just see what the Lord puts in your mind and in your heart about these things as you encounter him today. The topic is following Jesus. What do you see? What's the image that comes to mind for you? If you want to record any of that with pen and paper, if you want to record that on your phones, feel free. But what is the image? If you were to tell a blind guy what the picture looked like, what would you say to him? What would you say to her? Following Jesus. What is the image that comes to mind for you? Take a minute and rest in that. Now, this may be the same picture, or it may be a different picture, depending on what came to mind and how personal it was when I asked that first question. But now, in your imagination, I want you to conjure up a picture of you following Jesus. Close your eyes and imagine you following Jesus. If there were a photo from your own life story, something that's actually happened, that told a story about a time when you were following Jesus, how would you describe that picture? 
through your mental photo albums. Some of these things may be recorded in the pictures that are on your phone or on your fridge or on your Instagram. You following Jesus, what's the image that comes to mind? Just one of them. Because if it is true that you are a disciple of Jesus, then you are doing disciple of Jesus things, and that can be recorded with photos, and that's how we record these things today. But what's the picture in your mind? Go to that photo, one photo. So a picture of simply following Jesus, a picture of following Jesus from a previous state. And if you could imagine a future image that could possibly be captured about what it could look like for you to follow Jesus in the future, what do you see? This photo is not in your phone. It's not on Instagram yet because it hasn't happened yet. But if you close your eyes and imagine you following Jesus in the future, what's the picture look like? What image comes to mind? Do not let the barriers stand in the way. Just dream about it. Let the Lord operate with you in a prophetic space to show you something that will be by faith. And quite potentially a lot of hard work. And then ask yourself what barriers stand between you and the realization of this future picture in your imagination. Things show up as fears, doubts, hesitations, excuses, reluctance. Shows up in all those ways. I want to show you a few pictures. When I think of following Jesus in my mind, it just kind of looks like this. It looks like being out on a ridge somewhere where you can see great distances in all directions. It looks like either still waters or green pastures. And I see the presence of others who are like me, other sheep. And I just see a shepherd who's not all that impressive to look at necessarily, but this, the presence of the shepherd is there. Jesus is with us. Following Jesus looks like this to me. And sometimes he's in front of me and sometimes he's behind me. But the good thing about the word is that it says that he's in front of me and behind me, which is great. Following Jesus, that's what I think about as an image like this. I want to show you another picture. When I think about a picture most recently of what it looks like to follow Jesus, this picture came to mind. It's from this summer when a group of us did the Atlas Free Hike Through the Enchantments. Bunch of guys up there, four of them I'd never met before that hike, but they're friends now. And when I think about this as following Jesus, it's following Jesus in all the four most important areas of my life, which is my relationship with God, my relationship with friends and family, my vocational investments, my contributions to the world, and my rhythms of replenishment. Yeah. Everything in my life can be broken down, and I would suggest in your life, to relationship with God, people, your vocational investments, what you're making contributions to the world with, and then just being replenished. And when I think about atlas-free hiking more than just any other hike, I think about this hitting all the big pillars in my life because when I'm out in the mountains, I sense the presence of God. The Psalms say, look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Look, see, imagine. It comes from the mountains. So when I'm out in nature, every time I show up at a new precipice, it seems to happen every time. A new lake, 
a new mountain peak, a place that's three hours from here but I've never been to before. I get there, I put my bag down, and I sense the Lord say to me, I've been wanting to show you this for your whole life. That's, the, that's kind of the, the ongoing devotion I have with Jesus. He goes, look, I made this for you to see. And you're not going to be around here long enough on this planet to see it all either. So just enjoy what I show you. But that's the, that's the time that Jesus and I have together. It's almost like he just can't wait. You like when your kid brings you an art project? Because you can't wait to show us what has been created? God feels that way. He's the master artist. He's the master creator. He wants to show us these things. So for me, it's a place where I can be in the presence of God. Clearly, it's a place where I can be in the presence of friends. Because it's related to raising, our group raised, uh, I think, 12000 for human trafficking. Christy, your group raised 18000 I think. <laughs> so I read a stat on one of your Facebook. Thousands and thousands of dollars through hiking is being raised to help set people free from human trafficking around the globe. That's a vocational contribution. Atlas Free talks about doing what we love to fight what we hate. So it's not just a hike for me. It's making a difference in the lives of people who are being set free from physical oppression. And then rhythms of replenishment. It's just good to get out there where my phone doesn't work. It's up to take some pictures. But these spaces, this is why this image helps me understand what it means to holistically follow Jesus because it hits on all the most important things in my life. The next one I can't show you a photo of because the photo doesn't exist yet, but it's actually happening in this room. When I think about following Jesus in the future, I think about coaching. I think about helping people understand the imagination that God has given them to fulfill the calling that God has put on their life. And in this room I see... I see little coffee tables all over this room where two people are sitting at each table. And one is coaching and the other one is being coached. But people are realizing more deeply as disciples what it means that they belong to Jesus and what it means that they have been called by Jesus to do something for the kingdom. And it just happens in little settings. Coaching happens in little settings. But then the Lord reminds me that coaching doesn't just happen in little settings like that. It can happen during a sermon. We can use these processes to imagine and step into what God has called us to. So when I'm like, someday we'll coach on Casino Road, the Lord's like, you're already doing that. Just keep doing it and surrender the outcomes to me. So I hold this picture of little tables in this room very loosely. But what I see is people from this community not only being coached, I see certified coaches helping other people grow as disciples because they are disciple makers. That's what I see. So that's the picture of what I see next. I can't show you that picture yet because it doesn't actually exist yet. But it, it could, right? It could. That's a hope. Is there another picture? Oh, yeah. The barriers. What things keep us from achieving what God has called us to? What are the excuses, the yabats, the fears, the doubts, the hesitations, the excuses, the reluctancies? What are those things? What's really neat about the Gospels is it doesn't paint the lives of perfect people. It paints the pictures of train wrecks like you and me. It just does. Mark was one of those reluctant train wrecks. And as we take a few minutes to look and consider Mark's Gospel today... Um, it's pretty clear that Mark for a long time was a reluctant follower of Jesus. Any of those in here? Any reluctant followers of Jesus some days? Oh my God, it would just be easier if I could just not do all this. 
He goes, you'd be bored, though, is what the Lord says to me. He goes, you would be bored if you weren't pressing beyond and seeking me beyond your own strength. A couple things about Mark. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm, I'm leaning into learning more and more about the Gospels and God's Word as I, as I grow and as I go. Just with some of you, again, the whole point of this series is to remember that we don't know it all, but we just learn a little bit more in the process. But there's some places that would lean towards the sense that Mark was a reluctant leader in God's plan. There's church tradition and some biblical clues point out that the rich young ruler might have been John Mark. Maybe. There's all sorts of evidence on both sides that he was or he wasn't. But there is the possibility that Mark, a little bit less directly than Matthew, wrote himself into his own gospel. Now Mark wasn't one of the disciples like Matthew was. Wasn't one of the disciples like John was. He was one who would later was close to Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus. And the, the teaching from the Bible Project, again, just check it out. We're not going to take the time on Sunday mornings to rehash that nine-minute teaching, but it's good. It says it's likely that Mark spent a lot of time with Peter and that Mark recorded all of Peter's words and came up with the Gospel of Mark. That's one of the possibilities. But Matthew wrote himself very intentionally into the Gospel as a, as, as a misfit. But we see that, well, maybe Mark was this rich young ruler that wandered away. There's evidence to suggest that this is a passage of Scripture. You know how there's Scriptures that you just did, you've read over it so many times you didn't even know it was there? There is an account in Mark 14, 51 through 52, and it just says this. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized Jesus, the young man fled naked, leaving his garment behind. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's been in there the whole time? <laughs> What's going on with that? That was my big discovery this week from the Gospel of Mark was this guy that was running away naked. And then I read some commentaries on it. They're like, that could have also been Mark. Another way of him potentially writing his self into this story, not as the hero, but as the reluctant follower of Jesus. So possibly the rich young ruler, possibly the man who showed up in the garden, uh, but was awakened and showed up, which is, I mean, he's throwing his robe on, so he's got nothing underneath his robe. He's out there with the flashlight in the front yard, the dog, right? And they're like, take him, and he just runs away naked. We do know this. That's, that's conjecture. That could be. But we do know that Mark ventured out with Paul and Barabbas, or sorry, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, different story with Paul. <laughs> that's a different. That's that one is not in. in the... <laughs> we know that Mark ventured out with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. That happened. We also know that in Cyprus there was little fruit produced on one of the very first stops, and it's likely that Mark got discouraged and was like, "I don't want to be here. I want to go home now." And so maybe he went home and, and Barnabas was okay with that. And, and Paul just wasn't. He's like, because by the time the second missionary journey comes around in Acts 13 and 15, we see that Mark has, has no place in the presence according to Paul on these journeys. He's just saying, I'm not taking a guy that wants me to drive him home in 20 minutes. Like, I'm not taking him. So, so Barnabas and Paul had a sharp disagreement and they went their separate directions. That's okay. But we do know... By the end of 2 Timothy, when Paul is in prison in Rome and he's writing to his disciple Timothy, who is in Troas at the time, which is in modern-day Turkey, we had a chance to visit there and see the roads that Paul walked on. 
he wrote a letter called Second Timothy that was read in Troas, and it says this. I should just I should just read this if I can find Second Timothy. Thank you. <laughs> These are personal remarks from <laughs> from Paul to, to to Timothy in Second uh, Timothy four verse nine. He says, "Do your best to come to me quickly from Troas in Turkey to Rome." So that's the context. For Demas. Because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. <clears throat> Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Demacia. Only Luke is with me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in the ministry. So by that we know that there was reconciliation between Paul and Mark, who wrote the gospel. Mark. Paul also says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So he doesn't just write about it. He works it out. We don't know the details of how that got worked out. But this little part of verse 11, get Mark. I just really like that. That's a reconciliation verse for me. Because it reminds me that some of the relationships that we have right now that are broken won't always be broken. And there will be a point in a story that you can point to one day that says, get the person who I am at odds with right now and bring them to me because they're of help to me. Who's that? Close your eyes. Imagine for a minute. Who are you so at odds with that if you never saw them again, this side of heaven, you'd be just fine with that? Imagine for a moment that the Lord leads you through a process of reconciliation that you at some point write to somebody or text them, bring me that person, they're my friend. Again. Or let it be. Let it be. So there's evidence here, right? Reluctancy in leadership, reluctancy in discipleship, reluctancy in following Jesus is okay for us because it was okay for the guys who wrote the story down to begin with. It's okay. These guys were recording what happened. They didn't have Instagram, but they had, you know, like, I don't even know what they wrote with. Tablets. Well, no, probably past tablets. Probably past tablets. Papyrus. They had it, and then it got written down over and over and copied again and again. We have it today by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have it, but are you okay with reluctancy being a part of your journey with Jesus? Are you okay with that? Can you give yourself some grace for that today? That some days following him feels like a chore and not a joy, but we do it anyways. I'm walking with a guy right now that just wants everything to come up like peaches and ice cream. Just the, all the vision of all the perfect things without any of the work. And that's the conversation that we have on a regular basis. I said, hey, following Jesus for me is really hard a lot of the days. And we do it. We do it. Because it's better than not. The reason why yesterday's Seattle Mariner victory, by the way, which was the second largest comeback in the history of Major League Baseball in the playoffs. They've been making those records for well over 100 years. The reason why that is so amazing is because by the sixth inning, it was just not amazing. I left the place where I was watching the game and just went home and fell asleep on my couch and then woke up. I'm like, whoa, something's happening here. This is amazing. It's only amazing because for a while it was hard. It was hard, right? It was hard. And then it wasn't. And it'll be hard again next week against Houston. you got to call me and remind me. It's okay. But it's hard. 
Remember this. Reluctancy is an essential part of the journey when it comes to following Jesus. Reluctancy is. It's essential because we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. This isn't a journey about perfection. It's about direction. Something we say in coaching all the time. So long as your direction is still on Jesus, therefore fix our, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So long as our eyes are fixed on him, it doesn't matter how fast we're going or what fruit is produced necessarily. Because if our trajectory is him and it's a long obedience in the same direction, it, the outcomes just don't matter so much. God will take care of the outcomes. Faithfulness and obedience belongs to us, and reluctancy is a part of that plan. Because we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. You can put this up, Zach. Weakness and imperfection remind us that following after Jesus hasn't ever been about our strength. It's about Jesus and his power that is made perfect in our weakness. So what, one more time, close your eyes and just imagine what does that picture look like? On your worst day right now, on the day where you just, just do not feel like following after God. Because of physical pain or emotional pain or financial difficulty or re relational brokenness or whatever it happens to be, discouragement, doubt, fear, rage, envy, slander, malice, whatever the thing is that makes you just want to be like, today, Jesus, I'm going to just do this my own self. Get up out of my way. I'm doing this on my own. Go to that moment. Imagine it because you can. God gave you an imagination. Go to that place for just a second. What does faithfulness and obedience look like in those moments when it's being refined through fires of weakness and imperfection? He is with us in our darkest moments. And that's where he's doing the deepest, most intense work. Go there in your mind. You might not want to. You're like, no thanks, not going there. Go there. And realize that so long as you're still holding on, you got your eyes on him. It's going according to plan. Because he planned it, and he only gives good things to his kids, even the stuff that hurts. Or take this moment and just move it from the heat and quench it in the cool waters of refining. Lord, cauterize this moment. Galvanize it in us, God. And go to that place of dependency and help us to just appreciate it a little bit more than we do. This is the true thing, Jesus. When we come to you, Lord, you lead us and you guide us. You are the standard bearer. Lord, you establish what is and what isn't. And this is not about the moments where we invite you to follow us, Lord. We confess that moment today. There are so many times where I'm like, hey, Jesus, you want to follow me into the thing I'm doing today? And that's where truth goes sideways. Because it's not really about truth. It's about my own opinion. So, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us get behind you again. 
and follow you and let truth lead us. Lord, we thank you for the context of these scriptures, God. We thank you that you had other plans that we can't even get to the full portion of it this morning, but you ask us who we say that you are. And Lord, if it's anything less than the one who gets to be in charge, then we have to recalibrate our understanding again. God, we submit our lives to you again today. We see you as the risen Savior, our provider, our healer. Lord, and we know that our own thoughts about who we think you are or what it means that you're Messiah, that can get in the way. But we pray that it wouldn't get in the way, that we would see you as Messiah who has a plan for victory that includes our own tribulations. So Lord, we pray against temptation that would lead us to give in and say, no, I'm not doing that. It's too hard. But we would see you as one worth enduring hardship for. Lord, recalibrate our understanding of what it means that you are truth. It's more than something you got. It's who you are. Lord, help us to move us to a place beyond understanding truth, to having a deeper relationship with truth. Because truth is not a commodity. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Set our minds on truth. Set our eyes on you as you set your eyes on us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.